Welcome to Chatting with Authors podcast. I'm Will Zeilinger. And I'm Janet Lynn. Each of our programs feature an interview with authors from a variety of genres. We hope you'll learn a little about them, their writing life, and more. Here we go. Today we have Rachel Hall. Rachel Housel Hall is the critically acclaimed author of the Amazon Charts bestseller International Thriller Award nominated These Toxic Things. The LA Times Book Prize nominated her book, and now she's, uh, her book, which is called And Now She's Gone, which was nominated for the Lefty, the Barry, the Seamus, and the Anthony Awards, along with others. Wow. Rachel was a featured writer for National Public Radio's acclaimed Crime of the City series. Her next novel, We Lie Here, will be published in July of 2022. Rachel lives in Los Angeles with her husband and her daughter. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to to be here on this May Day. Being on our show. That's a lot of awards. Congratulations. I have to remember that when, you know, and you've talked to so many writers, we all have these moments where we feel like we're hacks or that we're we're imposters. And, you know, that that comes with being creative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I... When I'm feeling that way, I will look and see all the things I've accomplished. And it's like, well, they didn't do that just because they like me. It's because <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It, it's 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 I didn't picture all this when I set out to write my first novel way back in 2000. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time. It's been yeah, a, long a lot time. of many moons. Yes. So, tell me what attracted you to crime fiction? Well, unfortunately, it's with us more so now than ever, but it's always been here, crime, even those crimes that are not necessarily illegal, but they're still transgressions against someone. We are always, you know, doing something to someone who doesn't like it or feels wrong by it. Um, There's a saying that you are the villain in someone else's story. I believe that. Um, You go about your day thinking you're well-meaning and you're generous and compassionate and someone thinks you've slighted them. And I'm fascinated by those small slights because sometimes those small slights grow and become the bad, crazy, Mm -hmm. scary slights that, you know, we're starting to see now and now. Um, I'm a child of the church. I uh, grew up Seventh-day Adventist and, you know, like any faith system, there are all the things that uh, you, you don't do this, you don't do this, you believe that, you do believe that. And there's this very strict moral code that, of course, gets trod upon um, by congregants, by ministers, by the leaders themselves. And I always found that fascinating, even as a child of why do we say one thing and expect people to do that, but then we go over here and do that. So as a curious kid, as a bookworm, which opens your world to new ways of thinking, um, I, I was fascinated. And, you know, for me, I sometimes, I can see the, the Bible as a crime story. You know, one big book after the another of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All, you know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. From Genesis to Revelation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong and, and trying to solve that and understand it. And sometimes using a character to help us all understand um, worldviews and, you know, where people, where they sit in life 
Crime is that spot. You know, you can be, you can have romance in a crime novel. You can have sci-fi and out of this kind of world thinking with crime novels. There is no, there are no borders with crime novels. And I think we're, as a community of writers, we're blessed that we get so much leeway to share our thoughts on what the world is. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I mean, we talk about church and the Bible. I mean, that's why the church and the Bible, the Bible is kind of a book of rules, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are those people that just don't like to follow the rules. Yeah. March to their own drum. Well, even so, God's most beloved, they do oh, that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. If King David fails, then <laughs> where are we? <laughs> so tell us, there, there are a lot of people who haven't seen and read your books. So tell us, what is your latest story about? These toxic things or we lie here? Oh, you're the latest one you're working on, if you'd like. Oh, we but like. That's a secret. You want to rather no, talk about no, 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 no. These toxic things um, instead. Um, we Lie Here, which is coming out in July, is another kind of origin story, um, similar like these toxic things. It's the story of a young woman who goes back to her town of Palmdale uh, to celebrate her parents' uh, 20th anniversary. She's throwing a party for them. And like so many parties, you have people that you invite and people you don't. And someone she did not invite, her like cousin that she doesn't even know, finds her in Palmdale and says, I have something to tell you. Before Yara, our protagonist, finds out what that is, her cousin is found dead in Lake Palmdale. And so Yara is trying to figure out what was it that her third cousin wanted to tell her and what does it have to do with her family story? So it's a story about origins, the story about family secrets. Um, it's another Southern California story um, and how our great Southern California informs all those things that we do. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. I, 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 I love these, you know, standalones that I'm getting to write now. Now, so you've written series before, but doing standalones yes. now? Yes. Um, so I had, my, my very first book was published um, on, on September 11th, 2002. So the first okay. anniversary of 9-11. And then I had, a really long period of not being able to get a book deal. Um, I had a lot of life living in those years. Those were my 30s. And we all know 30s are filled with trepidation and success and three steps forward. And, you know, I kept writing in all that time. And I finally came to a point in my life where it's like, well, what do I really want to write? And this was a moment where Walter mostly published Devil in a Blue Dress. And Terry McMillan published Waiting to Excel. And it's like, well, I want to take the Walter Mosley story and smash it together with the Terry McMillan story and create this homicide detective who patrols the part of LA I grew up in, and that is the historic Crenshaw district. And so I started writing, and there really wasn't any story like that. And it's like, you know, taking advice of write the story you want to read. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the story I wanted to read, and that was Land of Shadows. And it was the first in a four-book series of LAPD homicide detective Eloise Thornton, who is tasked with solving crimes in her childhood neighborhood. And I love the series. Like There were four books. But, you know, if one book does well and then the next two don't, it's hard to get people to read the fourth book, which, you know, it, it, was, it was very difficult. <laughs> 
But my publisher, Ford at the time, they were very, they loved my stories. They loved, you know, my writing and they let me publish two more. And that was, um, They All Fall Down, which is an homage to Agatha Christie's and then there were none. And then, um, and now she's gone, which uh, was nominated, yes, for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. So yeah, I loved my series. I love Lou Norton. Readers love Lou Norton, but there's so many stories to tell. And the ones I'm writing now, it's kind, it would be hard for me to tell those stories as part of, um, of a procedural. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed in that, that I still had, you know, publishing mm-hmm. support. Now, is there a story you're itching to write but haven't written yet? Yes. As again, as a child of the church, I am fascinated and terrified by cults. Um, and I want to write a cult story. I read Under the Banner of Heaven, John Krakauer, who's like my favorite writer. And mm-hmm. I've read basically everything I can on, you know, the People's Temple, Jim Jones. And, you know, again, as someone with a belief system, I can see where you lose yourself and you start following the person and not necessarily a deity and just how dangerous that is. And so I want to write that story. I don't know how yet, and I don't know what it would be, but it's it's simmering back here somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, I believe a story will take time. The second book that I tried to publish back in 2003 it got rejected. And I thought it was the best story, better than my first one. It was a domestic uh, domestic violence story and it was titled uh, The Flight of Venus. And The Flight of Venus is actually the name of Harry Houdini's uh, disappearing woman trick. Mm-hmm. And so the story was about um, a woman trying to leave her very dangerous uh, marriage and it couldn't find a home. And so I put it away but that story still stayed with me because it meant something to me. I just didn't know how to write it. I had to go through the 30s uh, and you know those moments of trepidation and progress and baby and house and job changes and layoffs and all those things. And then some of my 40s to kind of understand what it was that I wanted to say. I had to write those procedurals first mm-hmm. and then that standalone to, to learn how to do, how to write things. You know, it takes, they say, a million words to finally get it. And I think I hit my million words with, and now she's gone. And I pulled that story that I tried to write 2003 into this story about a young detective, a young PI, private investigator, who is tasked with finding a woman who doesn't want to be found. And that story that I thought had failed so long ago, I knew how to write it now because I knew how to write a procedural and I'd done a standalone. So I took that story from 2003 and folded it into, and now she's gone. So if any young writers out there don't ever feel discouraged about a story that you can't sell, it's not dead. You just don't know how to write it yet. And I don't know how yet to write that cult book. No, I, I, have, I have several manuscripts under my bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. there are times that I'll go back to them and find a scene that would be perfect for what I'm writing now. Yeah, character, not just pull it out. Yeah, it's yours. I do that all the time. Yeah. I believe in cannibalizing my own work. <laughs> now, you're such a busy lady. Uh, yes. Uh, do you have any 
like you said, for young writers, do you have a, a writing schedule? Do you have a routine that you follow? Yes, yes, I do. So I still work a day job, a full-time day job. I am a writer at Cedar sinai Medical Center. And as you could probably imagine, in the last three years, we've been a little busy. Mm -hmm. um, and part of my job is communicating to donors and to patients about you know, what COVID is, was, what they should do, what we're trying to do, what the city, all of it. And so, you know, that's only helped me get stronger in my, my routine, but um, I do wake up at 4.40. It's now creeping back to 4.30 every morning <laughs> to write my own stuff. I give myself the best words. Uh, so I write until uh, about 6.45, and then I do all the business of writing, like answering your emails, mm -hmm. things like that for at least another half hour. And then I get ready and I go to work mm -hmm. and I work from, you know, eight till about three. And when I'm done, then if there's like transcribing, entering edits, that kind of like thoughtless mm -hmm. type of writing, I'll do that until around 4.30 or five. And then that's it until the next morning at 4.30, 4.35. And that's every day. I write every day except for Christmas Day and for those moments when I actually go on a true vacation, like away, away. Away, away. And, yeah, way away. And that's when I will indulge in reading everybody else's stuff, you know, and then back to writing again. I, I love it. I really, really love it. So and your writing time is always sacred. I mean, nobody can, you got to yeah. do that religiously. Yeah, it's just me, the dog, and the two cats. <laughs> it's perfect but you know not everybody you know I'm not a stickler well everybody has to write every day but for me it works and Walter Mosley said something um, that's really stayed with me he writes every day and he he said that he does that is because every day something happens in your life and you change just a little and that change reflects in your writing and if you don't write every day then you miss that little bit of change that you experienced and it doesn't get to get you know it doesn't get into your story so i i, I find that to be true and so i try you know mm -hmm. well i do i write every day now we write between six and eight every morning it's basically before life begins uh-huh even when we were both working full-time we got a whole lot more writing done when we were working yeah now. so we had to really stay okay between six yeah. and eight and nothing gets in its way at eight o'clock, then we start answering phone calls. Yeah, no, it is a sacred time, like you said. And, you know, having a day job helps with that type of discipline, mm -hmm. um, especially I'm a writer. So at work, they expect me to do a letter. I have to do the letter. I can't say, well, the muse is not with me. It's like, <laughs> no, I write the letter. And so I have that muscle. And it's also nice to you know, I don't have to rely on the publishing world to pay my daughter's school tuition. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't have to be creative to eat. And I find, I find that, you know, comforting, um, especially in such a topsy-turvy world. My husband is in, he's in entertainment. And as we just saw at Netflix, they just let go how many people? And that's happened to him before, where it's like this bloodletting on a Friday and we've been in positions where, you know, I was the only kind of reliable check coming in. We get packages, but that's not, and, you know, it's not, it's, it, it feels weird. So it takes a lot off my um, shoulders and off my mind to know that 
you know, my job at Cedars, I, I'm covered, healthcare, uh, all that stuff. So, yeah. That is but when you get ready to write, do you find you have to, from your job, like with Janet, when she was working full time, you have to code switch a bit to get from your writing style, from your doing at work to what mm -hmm. you're doing at home? In some ways, yes. But at the same time, I mean, think about us writing. We're switching head to head to head, different perspectives all the time. And that's what I do at, you know, that's what I do at work. This is just one more voice in my head that's kind of informing me. One, one cool thing about having a job is being around other people. You know, the people that we put in our stories, mm -hmm. they're in our office too. They're stealing the cream. They're warming up the fish in the microwave, even though they're not supposed to. You know, it's like these bizarre folks that you don't meet at home. You have to go out and see them. And so, yeah, I have their voices in my head. And while it's not, you know, necessarily a formal voice that I'm writing, for my novels, in some ways it is because there is some administrator or middle manager or jerk with the you know broccoli and fish smells coming out of the kitchen. <laughs> They're in the story, so it, it it all it's all material. We're we're vampires. We're magpies writers, right? Do you eavesdrop on conversations all the time? Yeah, we do too. <laughs> all the time, and you're just amazed, and you know what's gonna. You know, I, I find this to be true too. When um, someone new joins our our team, I know that either they're going to stay or they're going to go, just by the way they say like their first introduction. And it's kind of like that's a crime writer's gift. You know what the plot is. You know what this person's motivations are. And I'm always right. I'm always right. And like I know that. Like, I write crime. We're paid to like second guess everything to to listen for the words they're not saying that, that's an interesting question is with co-workers and people you meet when they find out that you're a writer especially a crime writer do you find that they change not maybe initially but they forget people forget yeah, yeah. and they just go about their ways and we don't stop them i do not stop them from <laughs> like Huh, this is interesting. Like I said, maybe for the first three minutes, but then you forget and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of we people wait them out. We just wait them out. A lot of people know I write crime fiction after a while ago. Am I in your book? <laughs> yes, I get that. That's a typical question. I get uh -huh. in your book. <laughs> it's like, are you interesting enough to be in my book? <laughs> so who's your favorite author that you like to read? I would say, like I said um, earlier, I, I love John Krakauer. And I say that because I think Into Thin Air is the only book I've read maybe four or five times. Mm -hmm. And Into Thin Air, for those who don't know it, it's the, he writes creative nonfiction. And it's the story of the deadly Everest, Mount Everest climb back in 2012 or 2000, something like that. And he tells it, in such a kind of straightforward way, but it's, you're, you're left breathless. One, because of what's happened. One, because you're high up 29,000 feet, because it's just kind of an accepted thing that dead bodies are on the mountain and you just walk past them. It's all fascinating. And he tells these from such a very personal, but not gonzo way. I guess he's kind of a gonzo type of journalist. I mean, he goes there. 
Um, but it doesn't feel gratuitous. I don't feel icky reading him. I just, him and Eric Larson, who wrote Devil in the White City, they make me just flip pages. And I tend to read more of nonfiction than anything nowadays. Yeah, I do too. I, I love books that are, are stories where the characters just pop off the page. Yeah. I really did like those yeah. a lot. So I need to, I'm really curious. Tell us about your time writing for NPR. I think it was a crime in the city. Tell yes, us I was interviewed for Crime in the City with um, Karen Grixby Bates. And that, as you could probably imagine, was an incredible experience. We all, you know, we grew up with NPR and forest writers. That's like one of the places you want to be. It's like mm -hmm. Oprah, NPR, <laughs> there are these institutions. And when I got that call, I, I couldn't believe it. And it's one of those things where, again, when I'm feeling like a charlatan or feeling like I haven't done much in my career, I look back at that and say, I was on NPR. And mm -hmm then they've reviewed my books. And you know, it's, 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 it's crazy to be a part of that legacy. You know, it's, it, it is a true blessing. How long were you working with them? Oh, I didn't work with them. They interviewed, yeah. Yeah, it was an uh, interview once or twice, I think. So, yeah. I think that's great. I think that's so cool. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, would you get any particular ideas at certain places at certain times. Like I, I get a lot of my ideas when I'm in the shower, you know, something about water falling all over me. I mean, yeah. ideas just kind of happen. I do it with in traffic, which, you know, when in the earlier days of COVID, when we were all at home, I didn't realize how much of um, my creativity was tied to my commute. I mean, I live living here in the Crenshaw area and having to drive to Beverly Hills on La Cienega or La Brea during rush hours, you're just sitting. And so your mind just wanders and my mind would wander and I work out things, I discover things, I listen to a podcast, which, you know, sparks creativity. And I didn't realize it was so tied until I would say um, eight months into the pandemic, I had to take my car in for service. And I was driving to Santa Monica and my mind just started clicking again. And something, when I was writing these toxic things and a plot point that I couldn't figure out, it untied just in that drive. And it's like, that's why I'm having a bad, a hard time. I don't have commute sit time where <laughs> you're just sitting, gas, break, gas, break. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Are you a panster or a plotter? I'm a plotter. Me too. Me oh my too. yeah. You know, I will go off the beat, I will go off of my outline, but I do that because I know I have the outline right mm -hmm. here. Um, part of it is because just my personality. I I have a planner and I check things off. I like checking things off. Mm -hmm. If I don't have it written down and I've done it, I will write it down just like so I, I do the same thing and my That's husband true. thinks I'm nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, you probably manage his life like that. So um but I, I for, especially as a, a, a working mom, I needed to be able to see my progress mm -hmm. because writing it, 90,000 words, 400 something pages, that seems insurmountable over you know, the course of several months. And if I can check something off on my outline, I can see that I am moving forward. It may feel like a snail's pace, 
but I'm going to get there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am definitely, I am definitely an outliner. We're a mixed marriage. He's a pantser. <laughs> I, I, I started out that way, but once we got into writing uh, detective yeah. novels and all, uh -huh. you have you have to when you're mm -hmm. writing this stuff. You have to keep stuff straight. You can't right. just write yourself into a corner like I used to do. So, <laughs> yeah, all the red herrings and plot uh -huh. twists and exactly all that. Exactly how I feel. Exactly. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you that I ask all of my authors. Yes. Do you eat or drink when you write? I drink my coffee. I make um, <laughs> I make Nescafe, my my instant Nescafe Classico, mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't listen to music. It's just oh, me, no. my coffee. <laughs> my first drafts always write longhand. Um, but yeah, it's just me and, and my papers, pens, and laptop and my, my, my cup of instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for those who are just starting to write, any advice? Just keep doing it. I mean, really, it's like we were just talking about for outlines. It is forever, it seems, until you finish the draft that you send off. Mm -hmm. But you will get there. But you only get there if you commit to it and you commit to it because you love it don't do it because you want to get paid <laughs> but do it because you love it and you have a story to tell and the story you tell is the, the story that only you can tell mm -hmm. so yeah just commit to it love it for the for for its practice for its good um and if you can't do it every day do something around words every day yeah, read stories right. web clip do something but surround yourself with with the word so after we lie here, what else is in the pipeline for Rachel House of Hall? Uh, my next book, which comes out next year, and it's a Catalina Island story. Oh, um, yes, it's it's a story about um, a, a family murder that um, a woman is going back to solve on, you know, Los Angeles's paradise island where nothing bad ever happens and we know that it's not true so yeah it's funny because michael connelly he's also doing a catalina story and it's like i wonder what his story is going to be yeah, yeah we have a story taking place in catalina 1952 Ooh. 55 55 and we spent a week in catalina and yeah. just walking around all of a sudden everything came to us you know, yeah. it, it, we had an idea, but it wasn't until we actually saw the body dumps we were going to use. Ah, <laughs> this yeah. story just really, really came yeah. through. And you know, it's a really neat place to put a, a mystery. It is. And I, you know, and I'm going to come from in a kind of a different way because, you know, it, it's always been a field trip for LA kids to mm -hmm. go to Catalina. Some do the explore camp and all that. But I've, I've gone. And I've noticed that the locals or the islanders, and the census confirms this, there have only been like three Black people who've lived full-time on that island since people came over in the 20s. And I find that fascinating and I find it disturbing. Um, and part of it is Black folks weren't allowed on the ferries to get over to Catalina. So you can't settle somewhere where you can't access. And so the, the story is about a young Black woman whose family was murdered and her coming back to this island to figure out why. Um, and, you know, is it because they were a Black family or is it because of something even worse than that? And, you know, what is the root of all evil? Money. 
And as you probably noticed on Catalina, there's no place to build. There's no fresh water there. I mean, there, there are issues on that island. And so what never happened, which is the title, delves into some of that. So I'm working on that now. I'm on deadline. I have yeah, so much you know, so, four yes, to get it to my agent. <laughs> so, so much of the property there is, is, is in families that have held it for decades. Exactly, old money. I mean, I when we were over there in October, I learned that um, a lot of the houses in the flats, those house, the bright colored houses behind the shops and everything, right. they've bought out the families who own those houses and they're now vacation rentals. And it's like, they're pushing people into apartments and it's like, well, that's not, don't, don't bite the look, don't bite the tourists. They feed the locals or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of disturbing in some ways that the bison have more freedom than the people there. Rachel, it's been wonderful talking with you. Really did enjoy this. And it's a shame we haven't, we saw each other just shortly. Now, sure we, go. Yeah. now we see each other again on film. <laughs> on the, okay, so <laughs> for our viewers though, they can find your books pretty much in any outlet. Yes, anywhere. Places. Anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super. And you can find me at www.rachelhousel.com. And at the end of our broadcast here, we're going to have a, uh, we'll have your website posted mm -hmm. at the end so they can copy it. Great. Okay, Rachel, thank you again for being on the show. And thank you for inviting me. It was a, a, a great time. Now get back to work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Bye. Bye, Rachel. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Chatting with Authors podcast. To learn more about Janet Elizabeth Lynn and Will Zeilinger, go to themarriedauthors.blogspot.com. Tune in next time to hear more Chatting with Authors.